0: All right, so the, the Jewish people, they, they did festivals just differently than how we do festivals, okay? So the first century Jewish people, they would do all sorts of things. Like, they would have these, like, week-long festivals. They just did it differently than, than how we do festivals, right? Like, you're going, like, Anthony, I've been to Coachella, or I've been to Hullabaloo, or, uh, you know, the, the fellow nerds in the room are saying, I've been to the Renaissance Festival. But, but do you... <laughs> We still, we just don't do festivals the way that the Jewish people did festivals, right? They, they would take week-long amounts of time and they would all gather and they would eat and they would remember what God had done, right? And so what, where Jesus has been the last few weeks, aside from maybe the passage last week, but where he's been speaking the last few weeks is at this Feast of Booths. This this week-long festival that the Jewish people did in order to remember how God had moved in their lives when they were people in in the wilderness, wandering, how God had provided for them, what God had done. They would take every year, a week long, they'd set up these tents, these little booths out in Jerusalem. I'm thinking like a Jewish version of Burning Man, and they would just, uh, not that I know what that is, but... uh, and they would just celebrate what God had, had, had done. Now, not only would they, they celebrate and remember what God had done for them as a people, but they would actually look forward to what God said he would do in the future, they would hope in. they would anticipate what God would do in the future to restore all things. They, as a people, had experienced God's goodness and restoration for them in a number of ways. But they knew that that full restoration was going to come one day in, in, in a, a bigger, fuller way. And so at these festivals, even when they were uh, taking time to remember what God had done, they would take time to remember what God was going to do. And so a lot of times at these festivals and at at the Feast of Booths, they would read from one of the prophets, which are are, our books in the Old Testament, which was like their Bible. And so they would read, uh, especially at the Feast of Booths, they would read from the prophet Zechariah. And they would read these verses from the prophet Zechariah, 14, 6 through 9. I forgot to put them on the screen, but you can just listen. Zechariah says this. They would read this at the Feast of Booths. On that day... There shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth." On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. So every year, at the Feast of Booths, they would get up and say, you know what, one day, God is going to eliminate the darkness. They would get up and say, one day, from Jerusalem, is going to flow living, clean water to the whole earth. Where everyone will have access to good, pure water. And God will be king over all. And they would read this at the Feast of Booths. Now here comes Jesus to the Feast of Booths. And do you remember what he said a couple passages ago? It was a couple weeks ago for us. But at some point during this week at the Feast of Booths, he says in Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths, where they read these verses, Come to me if you want rivers of living water. And then today at the festival, which I think with a passage that we're going to be going through today is maybe the last night of the feast. We don't know exactly when it is, but I like to imagine it as the last night of the feast. And something that they did at the Feast of Booths to to also represent this passage in Zechariah was they would light these lamps. These lamps, now listen, they didn't have electricity, so imagine they were candle. I don't know how fire worked back then, but they would light these lamps. I imagine these beautiful lanterns, and they would put them all over the temple at night. I don't know if you've been to a fair at night, but I've been to a fair at night, and there's just something about the lights at a fair at night that just make endorphins go off in my brain, like if I see that kind of lighting, and so I imagine this is kind of what it looked like, At the temple, they have all these lamps. And Jerusalem and the temple will become brightly lit. Just like that verse in Zechariah said, that it says that there will no longer be darkness. And they would use these lamps as a visual representation of the promise that God gave the people of Israel that he would eliminate darkness. And so Jesus walks into this temple where just a few days earlier said I'm the one who can give you rivers of living water. And he walks into this temple where there are lamps lit in the evening. And he says, I'm the light of the world. If anyone wants to get out of darkness, come to me. Could you, could you imagine the audacity of Jesus? So when we go back and we see these things that Jesus has been saying, saying at the Feast of Booths, they were kind of like, they would have been seen as blasphemous. He was taking verses that they used to celebrate what God had done, and he was saying, it me, right? He's saying, that's me. I'm the one who's gonna bring the rivers of living water. I am the light of the world. And so understandably so, the religious leaders of that time are going, what? What? No, who are you? And they want him to prove himself and they want him to to bring people to vouch for him. They're like, what's your resume? Prove to us that you're this thing because you are making some audacious claims. And then Jesus, we expect him to go, okay, here's how I prove myself. But he never really does that. Every instance where Jesus is kind of like pushed to prove himself, he just doesn't prove himself. He just keeps presenting himself. And so today, in the passage today, what we're going to see is is religious leaders coming to Jesus saying, prove yourself, but he's just going to keep presenting himself. I love this quote from Leslie Newbegin. It it should be on the screen. Leslie Newbegin was reading through this passage, and this is his commentary on how Jesus is handling the situation. He says this, when the light shines in the darkness, it cannot prove itself to be light except by shining. So when the religious leaders come to Jesus and they're like, hey, prove yourself, Jesus goes, I'm just going to keep shining. I'm just going to keep presenting myself. I am the light of the world. You just need to see it. And so today, as we go through this passage, instead of Jesus proving himself to the questions and accusations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he just keeps shining. And I see Jesus shedding light on four different things in today's passage. Okay, so there's going to be four things that Jesus sheds light on for those that are questioning him that day. The first thing he sheds light on is the darkness of this world. And that he is the light of the world, okay? The second thing he sheds light on is one of their major problems. The third thing he's going to shed light on is the way of life that they are choosing. And then the fourth thing that he sheds light on is how he's going to defeat the darkness, okay? So let's get into the word. John chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 12 If you're not familiar with your Bibles, John is one of the first books in the New Testament, which is kind of like the second part of the Bible, but it's kind of like in the last third of the Bible. So John chapter 8, verse 12, we're going to break this up into four parts. We're going to read 12 through 18 right here. Okay, follow along. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered them, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jesus gets up in the temple where they have these lamps every night and he says, I'm the light of the world. That, that promise, that prophecy of light, light, eliminating the darkness because of God's power, Jesus says he is the fulfillment of that. And he gets up and he begins to use this Old Testament imagery to help us understand who he is. Right, All throughout the Old Testament, you see this imagery of light and of darkness. Light being God's way, darkness being the world's way, which is a brokenness. That there's something fundamentally wrong with the world. It represents evil. It represents sin. Darkness is used in all sorts of ways throughout the Old Testament, and it's never good. All right? This makes sense to us. We stumble in the dark. Shady things happen often in the dark because there's less witnesses. Some of us have to turn our lights off and run to our bedrooms so the monsters don't get us. Like We get this imagery. This imagery, is not just, this imagery has been used throughout not just the Jewish culture, but all cultures even around that same time of Jesus. We still use it today, right? It's, it's the dark side of the force, not the mean side of the force, right? Like it's the dark side of the force, the evil side. Jesus is using this imagery. He's re-saying what Zechariah the prophet had said, the words of God to these people, and he's shedding light on the fact that the world is dark. He's shedding light on the fact that the world is broken. Listen, this is not like popular in our society. Like someone getting up and going, man, there's something wrong with the world. People like to go, no, there is it's just our perception. Or, or what? And I would just say, okay, cool. Like don't put locks on your doors at night. It's a great test to what you think about the world. The world is a dark place, full of brokenness, and a lot of us feel that. A lot of us understand that, right? A lot of us wake up feeling like there is something wrong here. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with us. Like a lot, even the most atheistic people that don't believe in God wake up and go, "Yeah, something's not right." They just want not give the same answers as Christians as to why it's not right. What Jesus is going to shed light on more and more in this passage is that sin has come and broken this world and fundamentally changed the nature of this world to where all of us are just walking around in darkness. Whether we want to be or not, Jesus is shedding light on that. So Jesus sheds light that that's the problem. But he also says he's the solution. Right? So to the people that wake up and say, something is fundamentally wrong with this world, Jesus says, I know. <laughs> I, I'm, that's why I'm here. That's why I came Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the solution. Jesus has broken into history to bring God's promises about. Jesus is the light of the world. He's shedding light on the solution, and he's shedding light on the problem in this passage. He's the solution, and the world is dark. I'll say this. Does your life seem uh, dark? Does it seem dark? Does it feel dark? Here's what Jesus would say it is. It is dark, it is broken. Right, if you, if you go outside these doors, you go listen to some TED Talks, or you go listen to something else outside these doors where Jesus is not the light of the world, and you say, man, things feel dark, a lot of them are going to go, well, hey, let me, <laughs> and just laugh nervously, like they don't quite know what to do. But they want to convince you that things are not as dark as they are. When you read the Bible and you say, man, I feel like this world is a dark place, Jesus and the Bible says it is. It is a dark place. Do you feel hopeless sometimes? It feels hopeless sometimes in this world. I think we've lost this sometimes. I think sometimes why suffering is so hard for us is because we won't admit to ourselves that this world is dark. This world is broken. And we need a solution. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, walked into the temple and he said, he is the solution. He is the one that's going to eliminate the darkness. Jesus is the one that's going to eradicate the darkness. Now, remember, Zechariah, when he's saying there's not going to be nighttime anymore, I don't know if he's saying there's not going to be like nighttime. I don't know what the new creation is going to look like with Jesus here. What he's saying is there's not going to be sin anymore. There's not going to be brokenness anymore. And Jesus is saying, he is the solution. He is the light of the world. And so for those of you in the room that go, okay, prove it. I don't know how to prove it except to say, keep looking at Jesus. Go to Jesus. Right? In in both the rivers passage, the rivers of living water, and this passage, the light of the world, Jesus says, come to me if you want these things. Does the world feel dark to you? Walk to Jesus. Walk to Jesus. Now I think at moments like this, there's, there's pushback. Like, well, can I use medicine? What can I use? What, am I allowed to be part of God's restorative measures? And I would say yes, but, I, but it's important to know these two things. One, part, God's creation itself Is full of good gifts that God wants us to use in right and wise ways. But often, we take those good gifts and we make them the light of our world. But those good gifts need batteries over and over again. They will never light our world the way Jesus can. So yes, use the good gifts. But go to Jesus because he is the true light of the world. When it's all said and done, when he returns, he's going to be the one eradicating all the pain, darkness, and sin out of your life. Jesus is the light of the world. So he sheds light on this dark world and on the fact that he's the light of, world, of the world. Next, he's going to shed light on the, one of the Pharisees' major problems. Let's go to verses 19 and 20. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Okay, so Jesus, it, it's kind of a funny conversation that Jesus has with him. He goes, listen, I don't, I don't judge like you guys judge. And then he kind of goes, well, if you do need a witness, you have, you have my father too. Because he, he constantly wants to point back to his father. We begin to see the mysteries of the Trinity here, where his father and son are one and yet distinct. I can't explain it because I don't know if I'll ever be able to. We'll have to wait for Jesus to, re, to return to explain that. But he begins to point to these mysteries and they just kind of take it literally. They are going, where is your father then? which is a common kind of thing they say to Jesus a lot throughout the Gospels, which sometimes uh, is kind of an insult. So I don't know what it is here, but they're, they're, where's your father? Where's this witness then? And Jesus just kind of goes, you don't know my dad and you don't know me. If you knew my dad, you know me. If you knew me, you'd know my dad. He, he's going, you don't get it. What's funny is this is a very judgmental statement that Jesus is saying towards the Pharisees, which is confusing because he just said, I don't judge anybody. But what we have to realize is what he was saying is, I don't judge like you guys judge. Jesus is saying, I don't need witnesses to know what's true or not true. I know what's true. And so then in this passage right here, he says something that's pretty intense, and we know it's pretty intense because John makes a note yeah, so he didn't get arrested that day. Like, because people reading it back then would have been like, why wasn't this guy arrested? So Jesus was saying, I think some of his most pointed judgment to the Pharisees right here in, this, in these verses. And do you, do you hear what it was? You don't know God. You don't know God. That's what he's saying. Church people, are you hearing to the religious people of the day who knew the Bible probably better than we know our Bibles, who were doing all the right things externally, Jesus' judgment on them is you don't know God. You don't know him. So we have to ask ourselves, as Jesus sheds light on one of their major problems, do we also have that same major problem? Do we know God? Or do we think we know God like the Pharisees thought they knew God? Here's what I mean. I, I know Devin Booker, okay? I know who Devin Booker is. Some of you, like two of you that watch sports, know that that's a, that's a basketball player, okay? He's on the Phoenix Suns. He's really good. Uh, I know a lot of things about Devin Booker. I know how he plays basketball. I know he's dating Kendall Jenner. I know that he's really into frogs, okay? I don't, he had a frog-themed birthday party. I don't know what that's about, but he had a frog-themed birthday party. I know a lot of things about Devin Booker, but I don't know him. And it's not just because we haven't met, okay? I've, you know, I've, maybe I've stalked him a little but uh, It's not just because we haven't met. It's, I, I just don't know him. I know things about him. I know a lot about him. I know intimate things about him. But I don't know him. I don't know what really makes him tick. I don't know who he is. I don't know what makes him grumpy. I don't know Devin Booker. My fear is that some of us in the room, that that's what our faith is like. Listen, this is in the Bible. This is in God's word. It wouldn't be there unless we needed it. So for some of us in the room who are real churchy, and I'll let you define that however you want to define that, we need to ask ourselves the question, do I know God or do I just know a lot of things about him? Here's a test. Here's a test. What if Jesus just showed up here and came to church without the trumpets and the glowing and all that? What if he just showed up and he was here, you were talking to him in the lobby, would you know it was him? Probably because of the thick accent, but (laughs) let's say he doesn't have an accent. Would you know it was him? I don't know. I fear my own heart would not recognize Jesus. Do you know him? Do you have an intimate relationship with him where you know him, that if he just showed up, you'd know him? Because that's the point Jesus is making. He's going, God has shown up, and you're not seeing it. You don't really know God. And now good preachers would say, here's five ways to get to know God. But I'm a bad preacher. And so I just want I just want you to sit with that question, do you know God? Do you know God? Because it seems like the religious folk needed to hear that the most. And a lot of us look like religious folk. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we know God? Because it seems to be some of Jesus' most pointed judgment and he's shedding light on the major problem of their heart He doesn't bring up all these different laws in Leviticus as their major problem. He brings up the fact that they don't know God. Church, we need to be a people that knows him. Okay, he sheds light on their heart. He's gonna shed light on kind of like a major way of life for them. Verse 21, we'll read through 24. Follow along again. So... Jesus, he said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins." Jesus actually begins in, this, in those verses that we just read to point to his death, resurrection, and ascension, right? He's going, I'm going to the cross. You can't follow me there. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise and I'm going to ascend to the Father. I think, I personally think that's what Jesus is beginning to refer to. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're, they're beginning to go, they, they kind of get it. He might be talking about death or something. And so they're going, are you going to kill yourself? What's, What's going on here? And instead of even kind of just answering their question, he just sheds light on their way of life. He sheds light on the fact that their way of life is a way of death because their way of life is sin. He he sheds light on the fact, when he said, I'm the light of the world, come out of the darkness, Jesus right here is basically saying, you guys are in the darkness. You're in your sin. And you're going to die in your sin. That was their way of life. Even though they thought it wasn't. Jesus sheds light on the fact that sin ain't no joke. We keep watering down sin in our society constantly. We keep trying to say the Bible doesn't care about sin that much. And I just want to be like, are you reading the same thing? Sin, which is putting other gods before God, which is looking inward to be our own God, which is all sorts of things. When you look at how the Old Testament especially describes sin in these different ways, it is missing the mark. It is mistakes. It is evil. It is all of that. That is what... The world is walking in. That is what these religious leaders were walking in. And that way is not a way of life at all. It's a way of death. And it should concern us that people so sure that they were walking in the light were actually not walking in the light. That they were walking in the darkness. And listen, I don't want to heap up extra guilt and extra condemnation, but for the hyper religious, for the legalists, for those in the room that don't actually know God but think they do, I do want you to check your heart. I do want you to examine your heart. I do want you to ask yourself is the way of life that I'm going actually a way of death where I'm going to die in my sins, not actually ever knowing God? If Jesus wanted to say it to the Pharisees, he wants to say it to us. I hope that's not the case. I hope we're all following Jesus closely, that we've come to him as the light of the world. But sometimes I feel like we relate too much to these Pharisees. If the Pharisees walked around convinced they were fine, how are we going to be that much better? Without Jesus as the light of the world, without going close to Jesus and following him, without turning from our way of life, which is probably actually a way of death, without turning from that and turning to Jesus, we're going to die in our sin, which is a sermon for another day. But that's not good. I don't want that for us. Especially when Jesus so gracefully offers himself as the light of the world. It kind of left the the Pharisees just going, who are you? When he said this to them. And what we're going to see is Jesus sheds light on how he's going to eliminate the darkness. Let's read verse 25 and we'll go through verse 30. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said, actually, I want to reread that. I don't think they say it like that. So they said to him, who are you? (laughs) Seems dumb, but it was important to me. (laughs) So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone for I always do things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many people believed in him. So they go, who, who are you, man? You're saying a lot of crazy stuff. You're making a lot of judgments. Who are you? And Jesus goes, I, I, I'm who I've, I've, I've made it clear, I thought, at this point. I'm who I, I, I've said I am, right? Like he said, he's re-said these same prophecies in Zechariah and said, I'm that guy. I'm God. I'm fulfilling these things. And, and, he, and Jesus just kind of, he goes, I got a lot to tell you. I even got things to judge. I got things to tell you about yourself. I got all kinds of stuff to do, but you're just not getting it, and you're not going to get it. And he says, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get that I'm the son of man, which was referenced to Daniel 7, which they were using as shorthand at the time in different ways, but probably one of the ways they were saying is God is going to send some kind of king that's better than any other king that's going to live forever. And so Jesus says, you're going to realize I'm that guy, I'm that king, I'm that anointed one, that I'm the chosen one, that I'm going to save Israel truly and wholly only when I'm lifted up. Only when I'm lifted up. And this is where Jesus is shedding light on how he's going to defeat the darkness. On how he's bringing his light into the world. He's not saying like, hey, when all you guys like lift me up like, and, and honor me. No, he's saying that when he is lifted up physically on the cross, that's when they will begin to get it. That's when they will understand that he's the son of man. I love Jesus so much because even with talking with these hard-headed Pharisees, he goes, I'm going to give you a lot here. I'm going to spell it out for you. I am these things and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be lifted on a cross. And that's where we see how Jesus will snuff out the darkness. The son of man, the everlasting king, the way he defeats the darkness is by allowing himself to be consumed by the darkness. Jesus says to them, when I'm lifted up, that's when you'll begin to get it. And so I wonder if we need to understand what Jesus has done and how he's the light of the world. If we need to look to the cross, I think we do. Jesus on the cross allows the darkness of this world to consume him. He allows the sin of this world to consume him. He allows himself to experience death, which as we just saw, is a consequence of our sin. The reason death is in the world is because sin is in the world. And Jesus allows himself to experience death. He allows the darkness to seemingly snuff out the light. But because Jesus is the light of life and the light of the world, the darkness can't keep him snuffed out. He comes back to life He resurrects and he offers his resurrected life to all that just believe in him. Remember, we've taken believe and we've made it too much of a cognitive thing. It was that, but it was also this entrusting. And so Jesus is inviting the Pharisees, listen, the world is dark, it is painful, I invite you to just entrust yourselves to me. And he goes, but you won't get it until you look to the cross and see that the Son of Man has been lifted up. That's how Jesus snuffs out the darkness. How does that encourage us to today? That means that these promises in Zechariah. That the Jewish people thought... God was only talking about the end of time. God actually wasn't just talking about the end of time. God has done this unique thing in and through Jesus where the light of the world comes in the middle of history. Are you hearing that? The light of the world has come. So how does that encourage us? We can know that the light of the world has come and we can watch how God is unrolling the light of the world. It looks probably more like a flame that grows, it seems. And one day he will come in his fullness and bring complete eradication of all darkness. But in the meantime, those that follow Jesus, those that come to Jesus, we bear his light. Right? The Holy Spirit is inside of us. If you believe in Jesus, God's spirit, Jesus' spirit is inside of you. That means you bear his light And you help the world understand that Jesus is the solution, that Jesus is the only hope, that Jesus is the only one that can take care of the world's problems. That's who we are. But it's only because Jesus, the light of the world, instead of waiting until the end of history to bring his light, comes in the middle of history to bring his light. And he wants us to believe church may we read passages like this and may may we see Jesus shining for who he is may we see that he's the light of the world may we like just admit to ourselves that the world is dark and we need his light may we see that some of us in the room we don't know god may we see that some of us in the room are walking in a way of darkness that's just going to be death And may we see that Jesus' cross means we don't have to do any of that. That we don't have to walk in darkness. That we don't have to be hopeless because we have our one true hope, Jesus, the light of the world. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the light of the world. God, help us to see it. Help us to see it because as I looked at this passage over the last few weeks, God, I see that you just, you're not trying to prove yourself. You're just showing us that you're the light of the world and I fear, God, that some of us might not see you as the light of the world. Jesus, there are a lot of things you were revealing in this passage. You know each of us intimately, deeply, and wholly. And so, Jesus, I ask that your spirit would reveal to each of us right now in this moment what our heart needs to hear. What we need to hear in order to turn to you, in order to walk in the light more deeply, in order to trust you more. Show us, God, what that is. God, thank you for not having us just wait to the end of history to see that you are the light of the world. Thank you that we get to live on the other side of the cross. May we not be blind because of that. Take the scales off our eyes, God. Holy Spirit, help us to know you and love you and trust you and believe in you. God, thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for being the rivers of living water. Amen.